So this lesson is part of our Fig Tree 5 series. So Fig Tree 5 is intended to be shorter, more concise lessons. And each one is to help you see a profound concept, to take you deeper into the biblical text in a way that moves your faith. Now, getting that into five minutes is a real challenge, and most topics take a little bit longer. If I don't provide enough detail, then people may end up just being confused, so I have to give you enough. But anyways, this is another lesson in the Fig Tree 5 series, and this lesson is going to look at how Mark uses a literary technique called inclusio, and he's going to do this to reveal something profound about the nature of reality and who Jesus is. Now, a few weeks ago, we posted an introductory lesson on inclusio, and in that lesson, we looked at how Luke uses inclusio in the book of Acts to highlight his message of the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so in this lesson today, we're going to look at an absolutely amazing way that Mark uses inclusio to reveal the true nature of Jesus and the cosmic reality of God's kingdom. Now, for the background today, I've created my own triptych from three separate paintings, and two of the paintings are actually triptychs themselves. Now, a triptych is a painting that you can fold the sides in, so three panels. And these three panels will often depict either one or multiple biblical scenes. So, for instance, this scene right here is actually the center painting of its own triptych. It looks like this. So, this is three panel painting of Jesus' baptism. And now you can see, of course, that the artist, he's adding characters from his own time, his own day, like the nuns off to the right. Those wouldn't have been there in the first century, but this is very common for artists to do, to take a, depict a biblical scene as if it's happening in their own day. So this is my triptych of sorts, and uh, I'm picking three biblical scenes that are apocalyptic in nature. Apocalyptic meaning that they reveal to us something about the heavenly realm, about the true nature of Jesus and who he is. So first we have the baptism. We'll look at that in this lesson. The transfiguration, of course, is the revealing of the, the, the absolute nature of heaven and who Jesus is. And then the scene, uh, Jesus' death on a cross. So those are the three that I chose. So as I mentioned a few weeks ago, we posted an introductory lesson on an ancient literary device called inclusio. And in that lesson, we looked at how Luke uses inclusio in the book of Acts to highlight the message of the advancement of the kingdom of God. Now, you can find a link to this video below in the show notes, and make sure you check that out because inclusios are found throughout the Bible, and it's very helpful for us to understand these literary techniques that the Bible writers use to help them communicate their message. You'll begin to see them when you're aware that they're there. So inclusio is a literary technique, and it creates a set of bookends within the writing. So the author is strategically positioning the central concept of his writing at both the beginning and the end of the work, and that could be a chapter, it could be the entire book. And he's basically saying that everything in between supports this conclusion. And so, for instance, in the lesson that we looked at on the book of Acts and how Luke uses inclusio, 
We noted something. The book of Acts opens with Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God. And then you'd say, well, how does the book of Acts end? And actually, it's the absolute last sentence of the book. And we have Paul, he's proclaiming the kingdom. He's teaching about Jesus as Lord. And so you'd say, ah, you begin with the kingdom of God, you end with the kingdom of God, and therefore, everything in between is helping you understand something about the kingdom of God. Now, there's a lot more than what I'm telling you here, so make sure you go check out that video uh, to get a deeper understanding of what's going on in Acts. But that's inclusio. It helps highlight for the audience the main idea that the author wants you to pick up from the text. So Mark then, and this is our lesson for today, so he does something fairly unique with his gospel. Scholars note that Mark has five different inclusios. They're bundled together at the beginning, that's the baptism of Jesus, and then they're again at the end when Jesus dies. And these five inclusios help us understand what's being revealed about Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. Now I have a resource for you. So if you check down below in the show notes, there will be a link to this article. This was written by a biblical scholar named David Ulansi. It was originally published in the Journal of Biblical Literature. And you can see the title of the paper here. The Heavenly Veil Torn Marks Cosmic Inclusio. There's our word, inclusio. And this is really nice, actually. For most articles in the Journal of Biblical Literature, regular people don't have access to them. You have to go through a theological library or you have to have a subscription to the Journal of Biblical Literature. But here, what the author did, David Ulansey, is he posted it for free on his own website. And so make sure you go read this because it is helpful. It will help you gain a deeper understanding of what's going on. So what do we see? Well, we see that Mark includes five details, both at the beginning and the end of his gospel, and the details are connected. They create the inclusio. In fact, they show up at the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. That's the baptism, according to Mark now, because remember, this is in Mark's writing. It's the baptism, and then they show up again at the very end of his earthly ministry, at the moment of his death. And the five details look like this. They start out, at the baptism, there's a mention of Elijah. At the death, in Mark 15, there's a mention of Elijah. And you have to remember, Elijah precedes the Messiah. In both cases, Elijah is preceding something that's going to happen with Jesus. At the baptism, we see that the heavens are torn, torn open. We'll talk about that in a minute. At the death, the temple veil is torn. At the baptism, the Spirit then shows up and it descends. At the death, we have a word, expire, that also is related to Spirit. It often gets translated Spirit. And you have something that's descending. That's the temple veil. And in both cases, we have a voice. At the baptism, there's a voice from heaven that shows up and says, This is my Son. At the moment of Jesus' death, we have another voice. It's the Roman centurion who says, surely this man is the Son of God. And so right there, you have your bookends, beginning and end, that are going to help you understand something about Jesus or the reality of what's going on in God's kingdom. But let me give you something about Mark. The book of Mark is considered an apocalyptic work. 
and apocalyptic means simply to reveal. Now, what often happens is we get we get confused or we conflate the idea of apocalyptic with eschatology. Eschatology has to do with end time, right? What's happening at the end times. Now, no doubt that in a lot of the apocalyptic literature, you will see something that is also uh, has to do with eschatology, meaning that it's showing you events that will be coming. But apocalyptic, though, can be something different. It's revealing to you the nature of reality. So the Greek word means to reveal or to disclose. This is like the book of Revelation, which is a revelation. It's a revealing, is called in Greek the apocalypse. And it's revealing what's taking place in the heavenly realm. In the earthly realm, John can't see it. But John is now in a vision, goes up and he sees what's happening in the heavenly realm. That's what an apocalyptic work does, whether it gives you specific events about the end times or not. And so, what is the apocalyptic work revealing? Well, it's something about the nature of reality that's beyond our normal senses, beyond our ability to understand through our processes of reason. So it's something in the heavens, right? God is a God who reveals. God reveals mysteries, and he'll reveal the mysteries of his cosmos. And what we see through the Gospel of Mark is there's a revealing taking place. It's revealing the reality of who Jesus of Nazareth is. He's the Messiah and the Son of God. And so, apocalyptic writing, well, it's highly symbolic, not always to be read literally. So, we have to understand the symbols, what they point to. And these symbols point beyond themselves to a fundamental truth about God's cosmos. Now, one resource for this, you can check out um, N.T. Wright is a New Testament scholar, and his book called The New Testament and the People of God, he has extended discussion about apocalyptic and the book of Mark. So what's being revealed here in the book of Mark is something about the present reality that transcends our physical reality. And so the Gospel of Mark opens, Mark chapter 1, with the heavens being torn open. There's a revealing taking place. In the cosmology of those first century Jews, God lived beyond the firmament of our physical reality. Many people today, where's God? You point up. He's up there in the heavens beyond our physical realm. And so God, who is beyond the physical barrier, tears open the heavens and descends into our physical reality. Now, again, it's metaphor. It's a complex set of symbols and metaphor that Mark is using to communicate about Jesus or the nature of reality. And so here in this painting of the baptism, you can see the tear in the heavens, the spirit descends, and then you get the voice of God. Now, where does this come from? Where have we heard this before about the heavens being torn open? Well, like almost everything in the New Testament, it's coming from something in the Old Testament. And so in this case, it's the prophet Isaiah. It's Isaiah 64.1. And Isaiah 63, leading into Isaiah 64, is talking about the redemption of Israel and the return of God for the sake of Israel. 
that God would come back and restore the glory of Jerusalem. And so Isaiah, he's crying out to the God who lives beyond the firmament, beyond the heavens, to come down and enter their existence and make that redemption possible. Oh, that you would tear the heavens, some Bibles say. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down. It's exactly what's being revealed to us in the book of Mark. So we have to recognize that this opening verse in Mark, it speaks about the tearing of the heavens. Well, that points us to something in the minds of those first century Jews, much larger, and we find that in Isaiah. And it's about the hope and the redemption of Israel. And the redemption of Israel is spoken in kingdom language. And hence, we have the good news of the kingdom of God and the redemption of Israel. And so the heavens are torn open and the Spirit descends. And then one of the cool things is we have to recognize this, that according to the concept of inclusio, the heavens that are being torn open here are going to correspond to something being torn at the end, and that's the temple veil. But what does the temple veil have to do with heaven? How do those match up? Well, for that, we go to the first century historian named Josephus. Now, Josephus, he was Jewish. He was a freedom fighter. He fought against the Roman Empire. He was eventually captured. Now, he made a deal to spare his life, and he ended up writing a history of the Jewish people. So, what we have is a first century account of someone who personally knew the temple in Jerusalem. And Josephus tells us that that temple veil, the one that was torn from top to bottom, it represented the heavens and the division between God's abode and man. So in one of his writings, this is called The Antiquities of the Jews, it's book 3, chapter 7. This is Josephus talking about the tabernacle, and of course this carries over to the temple, the permanent temple in Jerusalem. But he says that the tabernacle is an imitation and representation of the universe, the cosmos itself. That's what that tabernacle represented. And then he says that Moses, when he built it, set apart a third division for God, that's the Holy of Holies, because heaven is inaccessible to men. So there's a dividing line between God and man, and don't attempt to cross that dividing line thinking that you are a God as well. Now he goes on to describe the temple veil, and he says, It was a Babylonian curtain embroidered with blue and fine linen and scarlet and purple, and of a contexture that was truly wonderful. Nor was this mixture of colors without its mystical interpretation, but it was a kind of image of the universe. So that temple veil represents the heavens. This curtain had also embroidered upon it all that was mystical in the heavens. Now he goes on to say, uh, except for those 12 signs of the zodiac, we Jews don't worship that. Just to make sure you're aware, we worship the God that is beyond the zodiac. We don't worship the stars, we worship the God who created the stars. And so the temple veil represents the same heavens that we saw torn open in Mark 1. And this gives us the idea of something apocalyptic, revealing, happening. 
the heavens are open so that we can see something that's not always apparent to us here in our earthly realm. Now, if we go to the book of Mark, it's Mark 15, 37 to 39. This is the moment of Jesus' death. Jesus gave a loud cry and gave up his spirit here. That word spirit is associated with the expire, that the expire, the breath. So some translations say spirit, others say breathe his last. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. There you have the something descending. And when the centurion who stood by opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, that's a repetition of that same word to expire. Truly this man was the Son of God. Now, there's a lot going on here, and scholars see a lot going on, but clearly I think we can see a repeat of what's happening at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So there's a sense here that when Jesus gives up his spirit, it's the spirit that rends the temple veil in order for Jesus to go back into the heavens where he came from and he can be seated at the right hand of the Father. So Mark, Mark doesn't record an ascension like Luke does, but it's here in the inclusio. And what's so important about this is that at this point, it's the centurion who recognizes Jesus as the Son of God. A centurion, a representative of Caesar, a representative of Rome and that imperial cult. And what's so amazing is that in the book of Mark, if we only look at Mark, this is the first time that a human being recognizes Jesus as the Son of God. Now, we have others like Peter and Bartimaeus, the blind man that was begging. They recognize Jesus as Messiah, but this is where he's called Son of God. And it's important that we, we have to notice this in Mark's letter. When Peter confesses at Caesarea Philippi, if you, only, if you look at the book of Mark, he says that Jesus is Messiah. In Mark's gospel, he doesn't record the part about son of the living God. That's what Matthew does. He, he broadens it to give you more explanation. Now, also to be sure, within the book of Mark, Jesus is called the son of God by the voice of heaven. We see that at the, at the baptism and the transfiguration. He's also called son of God by the demons, right? They recognize who he is, but it's at this point here, the first human recognition. And again, more important when you consider that it's coming from a centurion who's part of that Roman Empire, whose emperor calls himself the Son of God. So if we go back to Mark as an apocalyptic text, a text that reveals something about the nature of reality, and we see here that Mark is revealing the kingdom of God with Jesus, who's the Son of Man, who's now sharing the throne of a kingdom that extends forever. He entered into our existence. There's a revealing nature to what's being told, and now he's ascended back to the heavens. And so one thing about an apocalyptic text is that it serves to point out the present reality in heaven, that God is reigning despite what you see here in the physical realm. You look out your window and you say, really? The chaos that's happening? We exist within the tragedy of history within the guilt of history. And we can be easily duped into thinking that God is not in charge. But this revelation that Mark tells us is different. 
So for instance, we get to the end of Mark and you think, well, wait a minute, Jesus is beaten, he's battered, he's hung on a cross like a criminal. But what's being revealed is that there's a reality of a God in heaven whose son is now reigning despite what you think is happening outside around you. So we have this inclusio. It speaks to us on a deeper, more profound level. And so this is the power of an author using inclusio. You bookend, you highlight the message. Mark helps his audience understand his message. He's showing them something is being revealed about Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, whose kingdom is reigning for all eternity, despite what you see outside your window. And just like Isaiah cried out to God, the Spirit of God descends, the kingdom is being manifested, and now the Son goes back into the heavens and is reigning with his Father. So we can have faith, have the confidence in God's eternal reign, so that we can remain in his kingdom despite what we see happening in the world around us.